0: Everyone, welcome to another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you?
1: Doing well, Sean. i we got a little, little day game baseball going on. I'll be checking in on. Reds are playing down 2-0 right now as we record this, but uh, happy to be back with you. The third show this week. I've lost track of the days already this week. I don't really know why, but... Couple of interesting things to talk about in the college basketball world. We got some football talk. Um, should be a fun one.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that day baseball. You know the best place to watch day baseball or any sport for that matter?
1: I got a feeling. I know.
0: It's the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, one in Williamsburg. Third location coming to London on May first. Today is Wing Wednesday, so if you get a chance to make it out to the pub to try all those delicious flavors. If you need to see everything that they have on that menu, you can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. But Derek, you previewed some of the topics that we're going to discuss, and we have to lead off with the biggest news. The transfer portal, it, it, it's big already because all these names are going in there because they're all expecting what's about to happen tomorrow when it was reported today. Uh, that the that it they have voted and that will be passed the one-time transfer rule immediate eligibility to big time story in collegiate athletics.
1: Yeah, I think all these transfers all these kids have been operating under the assumption that this would pass and today that news came out. I believe it'll be official it'll come from the NCAA tomorrow night, uh, but it's been reported that it has been approved. Um so for UK fans, I mean, you know, you don't have to worry at all about Wondell Robinson, Ostra Shibwe, any other basketball or football transfers they might get. All those kids will be able to play this fall. Uh, I believe they put a date. um, I believe you have to inform your prior school by July 1st. Um, You might want to double check that. I think I saw it because I saw some college baseball people complaining that the College World Series doesn't even end until I think June 30th. So for those teams that play in there, it essentially gives them no time. To uh, evaluate the portal, so maybe that'll be something that's a little bit more flexible. But Sean, if that is the case, when you look at the NBA draft deadline, is is that in July or is that in June? I forget.
0: It is July, I think, right?
1: So I think I, I want to say July 9th for some reason stands and, out my mind. It is
0: June first. I did check the twenty four seven sports story. So it is okay. June 1st.
1: Okay, so you don't have to worry about that then, because I was gonna say it'd be interesting. Uh, some of these guys are waiting on that feedback, come on to go in the portal later. would have to deal with that deadline, but it sounds like that won't be the case then. But um, still an interesting thing because, you know, obviously it relates to Kentucky basketball a lot, but I also think Kentucky football, when spring ends, will still be looking to bring some guys in. So, again, just one less thing you have to worry about. And any of those kids now post-spring who, don't, who do go into the portal, that won't even be a factor in their decision because they know that they're going to be eligible.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we had Oscar Sheboy today on a Zoom call that was supposed to happen last week and then some changes moved it to this week. Uh, but that was a guy that since he had signed with Kentucky, he wasn't going to be immediately eligible to start this fall in this basketball season unless this rule did pass. But it was something that we hadn't even discussed, Eric, because everyone has kind of just been under the assumption that this was going to happen. Uh, we actually thought it was going to happen sooner than what it is now. We know it teased it a little bit last year where it looked like it was going to happen. But this is a rule that when it's passed, it gives athletes a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And the NCAA loses power in this case, which is good. Because yeah. the college at the athlete now has the control to leave. Now that's the thing though. It's a one-time transfer rule. So I don't want people thinking that this, you know, a kid can go on the portal and then go in the portal again the next year and be eligible somewhere else. The only way that's going to work, I guess, will be grad transfers, which will still be, I'm assuming, an option, right?
1: Yeah, that will be interesting. I don't know how – yeah, if a guy played three years transfer – well, two years transfer, was able to graduate. Yeah, that probably won't be as big of a a thing. Um, So, yeah, if you're a kid and you go somewhere and you decide that it's not for you, it was beneficial to them that, you know, you don't have to spend that year being established or whatever they used to call it, uh, where you had to spend a certain amount of time before you could play. But if you go to that second school and it doesn't work out and you just, if you do want to leave again, it sounds like, you know, you will have to sit out that year so you can still transfer. It's just, you won't get that benefit. And will people still try to get waivers? I don't know. I guess that's something we don't really know yet because it's not happened at all, but um, it's a good rule and something that's been coming for a long time. And really when you think about it, I don't even think – was Kentucky affected by this at all? Because Gatewood got a waiver. Basketball, basketball, Sar and Topping got waivers. So, yeah, everybody that maybe would have had to, you know, not been allowed to play got to play anyway. So there's a lot of blanket waivers that had gotten approved last year. So we'd already seen this a little bit. But, yeah, the news is official now um, that that will happen. And, Sean, there are also some – Are they proposed rules or on a survey? Something for college basketball that came out today. Quite quite a few rule changes, you know, perhaps could be being looked at, I guess.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, every major national outlet, every major writer decided to to put all this out there. And I'm just going off of what uh, Matt Norlander put. And he says, here are possible rule changes for men's basketball next season. And when you look at the games or the look at the sports, Derek, the men's game is what is so off when it comes to the rules and the way the game is played. It's the only level of basketball that I know of that is 2 20-minute halves. I coach middle school basketball and it's four quarters. High school basketball four quarters. Women's college basketball four quarters. The NBA uh so you you kind of wonder if if that's something that's going to that's going to come at some point, but let's just go through these um There's one right off the top of the bat, widen the lane to 16 feet. The bigger ones to me is this one. Reset team fouls at the 10-minute mark of each half and begin double bonus on the fifth team foul of each 10-minute segment. This would eliminate the one-and-one free throw. So, like, if you load up on a bunch of fouls early in the game, like we've seen – how many times did we see Kentucky this year where it would be six fouls before the under-16 timeout? and you're one foul away from free throw, you know, one foul away from the one-and-one. Well, now that resets at 10 minutes, and you're not penalized the entire half. Plus, it speeds up the game.
1: Yeah, I think they have to do something for – and this would help um, to reset these fouls because, like you said, for some reason the 14-minute mark is standing out in my mind in a game this year when Kentucky was already in the bonus in one of the halves, maybe against Tennessee or Florida, maybe one of those teams at home. But that's ridiculous. Every single time you're getting fouled, or you're going to the line for, for one a one-on-one to 14 minutes left in the game or in a half. I mean, something it's, will help. I mean, why not just like? Is there an explanation as to why men's college basketball feels like it has to play two halves? I have no idea.
0: I have no idea.
1: And the six foul rule would be good too. I yeah, mean, especially with the way that it's called. You know, the way that these games are called, it gives a little bit more leniency. I guess you could say that. Uh, you know, we'll see how Cal will use that <laughs> if he'll go to. Because he's pretty he's pretty uh dead set if a player gets two fouls in the first half, they sit until and, halftime. So but they're getting a little, a little more
0: flexible. To me, they're getting a little too crazy with the proposals, though. Like, why can't we just say they get six fouls? So adopt oh, yeah. a modified six foul rule with the following provisions. Why do you have to have provisions with this? So just listen to some of these. One, a player may not commit more than three personal technical fouls in any one half. So you're saying when a player gets third foul in the first half if there's four minutes left. He can't play those last four. Stupid. You, you don't do that now. A, you can play, I mean, you could get foul out in the first half if you wanted to, if a coach wanted to allow it. So then the second part, a player may commit three personal technical fouls in the first half and three in the second half. In this case, the player's allowed six fouls before being disqualified, but still three to half. A player may commit two personal technical fouls in the first half and would be disqualified on his fourth personal technical in the second half. Like, what? Am I am I just missing how this is being interpreted? Like, or are we just throwing things out there now? No, you're right. I mean, it's way simpler just
1: to say, I mean, a lot of you have to be different than the NBA. NBA says six fouls and you're out. I mean, which the NBA also plays a longer game uh, in college. But – Yeah, just make it six fouls. Make it six fouls, and if I would rather them play four 10-minute quarters, but if they're held in on sticking with the halves, then I like the idea that it resets at the 10-minute mark. Uh, With the one-on-one stuff, I really don't care. Uh, It's fine. No, NBA does not have one-on-one, right? It's all two two free
0: throws. Now, does that reset at a dead ball, though? So let's say you're playing a possession. There's been six fouls. And you have possession of the ball with 10 15 on the clock and that possession ends at 945 with a foul. how do you distinguish that you know do you do you go to the line for two free throws or does it count as foul number one inside that 10 minutes That's where the quarter would help because then at least you yeah. could divide it up but this is the weird this is the craziest one on the whole uh free or the foul situation. A player may commit zero or one personal technical foul in the first half and would be disqualified on the player's fourth personal technical in the second half what is that even six that's five right
1: uh, yeah, that would be that would be five right <laughs> yeah,
0: like I'm just looking at these like if someone else is able to kinda of just read through these and interpret them a little bit better, help me understand. But one more thing, too, we go through the list down here. I just think it should be six. Just let them use it. What it does then is if there's a, a charge or block or charge call that goes against your best player, it's not penalizing him to the point that he has to sit on the bench. Yeah. Uh, but this one, award possession of the ball to the defense when they create a held ball situation. How many times do we hear that come up to where the defense kind of gets punished because of the arrow? I would like that one. Yeah, I would too. Uh,
1: so I know we talked on the phone. You were in favor of eliminating the 10-second backcourt rule. Yes. Absolutely. Which I feel like barely ever
0: gets called anyway. It's another one that doesn't exist in the women's game.
1: I, I know many... with you. Go ahead and explain your logic on that because I agree with you.
0: My logic is this. You've got 30-second shot clock. Give me the full 30. Yeah. I mean, Why? I mean, te- teams are still going to press, and teams teams are still going to pick up, you know, three quarters court, full court. That's not going to change because you're still trying to speed teams up. But here's the, here's the other thing I always hated about it: if you were going to have a 10 second backcourt rule, don't reset the 10 if the ball gets thrown out, or if the ball gets deflected out of bounds, or if I call timeout. Because why yeah. are you? If you're really wanting to reward the defense, you're not doing it by allowing a coach or a player to call timeout and resetting the 10. That's why I just do away with it and then play the 30 seconds out as a full possession. Let's
1: see here. A couple others. Eliminate offensive basketball – or sorry, basket interference after the ball hits the ring or flange. Uh, it would make the rule consistent with the FIBA. So I thought that was for defense too in the FIBA game, Sean. I thought any I thought anytime the ball hit the rim, you could knock
0: it off. Yeah, you can in that level.
1: That'd be Mm. interesting. I don't know how many of these would would truly – some of these, I think, would be needed. College basketball needs – it needs some adjusting in terms of how the game is called, and my thing is that the officiating is just going to be bad, and then the bare minimum you can do are the two things we talked about at the beginning. Reset the fouls so teams aren't in the bonus for 14 minutes or whatever, and um, also – this, uh, reset the fouls and then uh, was the, I guess that's one thing I really care about.
0: Now that I look at this, <laughs> widening the lane to sixteen feet would be a huge difference, though it's twelve feet right now. Oh wow, that would be four yeah four added feet. You talk about uh, spacing already taking it over. Can you imagine if the lanes at sixteen feet on the oh, no. offensive end?
1: Well, the one thing I was gonna say I like the idea of was when we hadn't talked yet, and that's why it slowed me down. The, the use of tablets, uh, laptops, or other devices on the bench. I don't know if the NBA does that. I will assume they do, but, I mean, obviously I watch a lot of – I think all of us watch a lot of football. They have that on the sidelines. And baseball has a lot of that in the dugout. I don't know about college, but the MLB. That just makes a lot of sense to me. Because I don't about, think it's some unfair advantage or anything. If everybody has it and you can kind of see tendencies for players. I think it makes the game – I think it makes players smarter. Uh, I think it helps the scouting. And uh, I think that's an easy thing that should be allowed.
0: How about this one? Permit a team to decline free throws in the last two minutes of the last period. Or of any overtime period and elect possession of the ball for a for a throw in instead. So your worst free throw shooter out right here on the floor, he just gets hacked, and you can say no, thanks. We'll throw it in. What do you think about that in the final two minutes of a game?
1: Well, since that would definitely help the team that was being fouled.
0: Yeah, if like you if you have hard. a really good rebounder that you don't want to take off the floor, a really good defender that is not a good free throw shooter, you don't have to take them off the floor. That just seems like it it then comes down to like a – it's more of a game of chess now than it is anything else to me. I mean, you're talking about, yeah, I don't don't want that advantage. No, I don't want to go to the free throw line. What are you saying to your player then? (laughs) I don't believe any, son. You can't hit those two free throws. We're going to throw it in on the side. Well, like I said, some of these will happen. A lot of them will be thrown out.
1: They will be, yeah. All these provisions to the six foul rule—it just seems like too much to me. I don't just go to the six and then reset. That's all one I guess I meant to say. Go to the six fouls and reset the reset the bonus, and I think I would be pleased. But because I just don't see the officiating getting a whole lot better. But at least these things can help not have as much of an impact on the game. Because think of how many times—not just for UK, but for other teams too. A good player goes to the bench with two fouls, just very early in the game. I mean, that would give it a little bit more flexibility. You don't need the hole if they stay in and foul four times in the first half and they're out of the game, and it's just dumb. I don't even know why that was even proposed. Um, anything else you want to add to those rules, Sean, before moving on to some more hoops talk?
0: Just that I see some of our listeners in replies to Matt's tweet saying the exact – and I haven't read these – Uh, saying the exact same thing that we said. If you're going to reset the fouls after 10 minutes, just move the game to four quarters. If it's that simple for everyone else to understand, why can't they just – and I'm not – and if they do, if they don't change it, is it really – I'm not going to get all up in arms about it. I mean, it's whatever. It's still 40 minutes of basketball. But if you're going to make that rule, the only way I think it actually makes sense is if you move to four quarters because that's how you officially reset a timer. Yeah, like yeah. if that possession goes beyond ten minutes, that's where you're gonna have a question. Well, if there's a foul committed at the nine forty mark. Cause then you haven't been able to officially reset anything. You can reset the arrow and all of it after that. Just uh but at least they're looking at some changes. The big one to me is definitely You ready? Showtime. On May third. Summer starts with the fall guy. No later. Let's think of spicy research. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Moving to six fouls. I think that you're at a point now in this game where the you have super athletes. I mean, everybody is athletic and can play. The game is so fast. You have the human element in the sport where officials do make mistakes. And kids get a call or two that goes against them that it can impact the way the game's played or the way that they play the game. And you penalize a kid for maybe for just a bad call. That's why I like the six fouls because then you have some wiggle room. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
1: Last night, there was a name, I believe it was yesterday, a name that went into the transfer for portal, uh, Marcus Williams from Wyoming. I know this is a kid shot. I haven't dug into him very much, but I know you have. And you seem to think he would be a pretty good fit. So I don't know if you have his numbers pulled up, uh, but we were discussing him some uh, on the phone last night. Y- you actually see him being an option, perhaps, for Kentucky.
0: I think it would be one to pay attention to, for sure. I texted you that last night. It's It's certainly not – a big-name talent. I mean, you're not talking the Power Five or something along those lines, but it's a point guard who has had success, who scored the ball. And I just looked at it last night as soon as going to the portal. I said, okay, if you're you're looking for a point guard in the portal, we know Tata Washington, obviously Kentucky would like to have him or they wouldn't offer him a scholarship, but I would expect this one to be somebody to at least pay attention to uh I'm trying to pull up his stats right now. That's what yeah,
1: I I got him pulled up here. He 14.8 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, 4.3 assists. He shot at 45% from the floor overall and 33% from 3. Just a freshman He's from Dickinson, Texas. Um had some pretty big scoring games, but you know, his I don't know if he was just a, obviously a pretty lightly recruited kid. He's from Texas and ended up out in Wyoming. So, that would be interesting. He, he was one that the the national media types were tweeting about last night. Whenever his name showed up in the portal, so just a freshman. So you'd be getting a young player who, uh, when you talk about, you know, desire to be in college or whatever, some of the things that might be important to people. I would think this is a kid who probably has his mindset on just improving as a collegiate player, getting a little bit better year in and year out looking for a step up in competition. Now, Wyoming plays in the Mountain West, which is a solid conference. I mean, you got uh, San Diego State, Utah State, Boise State. Uh, UNLV's not been so good here lately, but a lot of years, UNLV, of course, is a very good school. So, you got Jamal Baker in the Mountain West now, playing at Fresno State. So, Nevada with Steve Alford. I mean, some good teams that just straddled off right there who were pretty solid. So, he saw some decent competition. Don't quite know how he would fit, but in a time where it seems like Kentucky is pretty much leaving no stone unturned, they might reach out to this kid.
0: Well, I'll tell you this too. So in the midst of my digging last night, and before I say that, I want to say this too. If you're going to, if you're going to entertain rocket Watts and some of these guys, you entertain this kid in my opinion, but in one of his highlight tapes from high school, and it probably doesn't mean anything, but it stood out to me. Uh, he's interacting with a guy but it looks like before a game, and the guy beside of him, and it's not a coach, has a U.K. pullover on. So maybe somebody, I don't know, I just looked at it. I don't know if you can you can find that highlight tape. It, I actually took a screenshot of it because I was going to send it to you last night and be like, hmm, maybe it's foreshadowing. <laughs> no, but not saying that him having a friend that maybe has a U.K. jacket means anything, but it, I just thought it was interesting. I wasn't expecting U.K. at all to pop up in a high school tape of him.
1: Well, it's one of the rare kids, Sean. I'm digging. I was trying to find his 24-7 profile. I don't, I don't think he even had a recruiting profile. So I don't know how far off the radar this kid was before he got to Wyoming. <laughs> but um, that, that one would be interesting. Besides that, I don't think too many other things really happened with the portal. Um, like we said on yesterday's show with Ty Washington, who got offered by Kentucky, he um, will be sending out his top five tonight. Or, sorry, not tonight, this weekend. So that'll be something to follow. The expectation, I believe I read, in our 24-7, Eric Bossy had a story today. Top five this weekend, they think a decision will be coming pretty soon after that. So with Washington, shouldn't be a thing that the fans have to wait too long to find out where he's going to be. And perhaps more clarity could come from that wherever he decides.
0: Did, Did you see what Sam Vicini said about Marcus Williams before we move on to something else? I did not. He said... I'm a big fan of Marcus Williams. I think he's a legit high major starter. Uh, Emerged from lightly recruited Northern Colorado commit to MWC Rookie of the Year after Jim Linder got the Wyoming Wyoming head job. Great story. And NBA scouts have some real interest, especially after his start to the season. And those were those numbers that you were looking at, Derek. There were 30-point games, 20-point games there early in the season in that conference. Uh, Certainly a player – of that caliber needs to be somewhere else. And I think that's what you're seeing. And he did make it official today and, and come out and said that he is transferring. So just maybe a one to watch. You don't really know what Kentucky's doing right now, but it's, I, I would look at it just because the guys that they've con- connected or contacted in recent weeks, Derek, if you're going to contact some of those guys, you contact this kid too, and at least gauge interest and possibly see if it's an option in my opinion.
1: I'm with you on that. Um, I think that's about it from the basketball side today. the day. I don't see anything else you wanted to talk about.
0: I think that's pretty much got it covered. Uh, we'll continue to update that as it moves along. But, Derek, I know you want to transition to the football side.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sean, let's talk a little FPI. Everybody's favorite Frankings formula. The ESPN <laughs> FPI, when I say it's everyone's favorite, it's actually not um, widely hated, I think, amongst U.K. fans, at least, and a lot of college football fans. And the reason why is because this formula will give you things like Mississippi State as the preseason number eight team after finishing four and seven last year. So just some things like that. But uh, I'm waiting on this story to pop up that I wrote today, and the uh, autoplay is going to be on. So I'm trying to turn off the thing before it starts Where playing. Before we get
0: some background noise in here.
1: Yeah, here we go. Just uh, computer's going slow now. but Okay, i got to pause. So Kentucky comes in at 39th. Uh, overall in the nation. I don't know where exactly that put them in the SEC overall, but I know that was fourth in the SEC East. So the FPI projects Kentucky to win 7.1 games and 4.9 losses, so easily rounded to 7-5. and five, Which, Sean, that's the FPI gives Kentucky an 86.9% chance to just get back to bowl game, so that would be six straight years with the bowl. Pretty high percentage there. Uh, before we dig into too many other things, your initial impression on the FPI saying 7-5? and five?
0: It's spot on with uh, kind of what we would expect. The that's the line that I set it at. Right, you don't want to dip below in a normal season. And I think fans, even Derek, would be upset about seven and five, considering the talent that Kentucky's bringing in, what they've done in recent years, all the bowl wins. Uh, eight and four is the mark that I set it at. That I judge now Kentucky on having a great year or just an average year. If they win eight regular season games, I'm like that's a really good football season. Seven and five is not a bad one, but I think the way Kentucky talks their program up that they're beyond seven wins is how I kind of view it. But that's better than what the FBI has put them out at, at the past, right? Yeah, that's yeah, a that's a times, step up.
1: Yeah, a lot of times Kentucky's been, I think, in the five to six win range on the FBI. And some of you people might be wondering what what is FBI? It's the Football Power Index from ESPN, and I, I'm not going to go through everything that it's based on just because it would take me a little while to read it. But basically you have recent years performance is taken in. You have a little bit of recruiting taken in, although it is not very much the recruiting piece for the incoming freshmen. And I don't know how that's changed with transfers um, or even just in general, the production. Like I don't know if Wondell Robinson's production while he was at Nebraska um, is added just right away to how it would fit in with the UK. I think that's where it's going to be harder to project as time goes on because there are a lot of transfers. In college football. But but a big thing, too, is returning starters on offensive defense. It's going to give um, teams that have a lot of guys coming back, they obviously get a pretty big advantage. And I would say that's pretty standard, even in normal rankings that are not based on any kind of scientific formula, uh, like this one is. But Mississippi State was the one that I think a lot of people around the country were just like, what? What in the world? I mean... I watched Mississippi State last, you know, my last impression of them was Mike Leach giving an interview in the stands while his players were out on the field fighting uh, Tulsa, <laughs> whatever bowl game that was back a few months ago. But that will be one I would say. Uh, and then Iowa State, two in the top five now. Yeah. Matt Campbell is a college football media darling, and uh, he's done a great job at Iowa State, always rumored to be in for a big job, hasn't taken one yet. Uh, but they're in the top five, Sean. They're at number four. They're above Ohio State in this FPI. But um,
0: Kentucky's ahead of Tennessee too, aren't they?
1: Kentucky, yeah, So Kentucky's ahead of Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt in the East. So you got Missouri a few spots ahead of them, and then Kentucky's ranked ahead of every other team in the non-conference, including Louisville. Louisville's at 42. Um, New Mexico State. Unfortunately, somebody had to be last in this list. New Mexico State is, is the worst team. According to the FPI, they come to Lexington uh, near the end of the season, I want to say the next to last game, before Kentucky goes over to Louisville to play. So that's sort where of things stand with the FPI. And I'm going to guess, Sean, uh, the way that this FPI is, is listed, to give credit to them, I don't know if it's really giving them credit, but I'm going to guess around SEC media days, whenever the SEC East standings come out, or the projections, I mean, I think the order that the FPI is in will will be the order. That the SEC East is seed. So Georgia, Florida, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina,
0: and Vanderbilt. Yeah. And right now at this moment I think I would go Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, if you were asking me. That's where I would go and that could change. Obviously, as we go through the summer and get into those previews, storylines and in you know, health and everything else that plays into it. But uh, I'm Missouri, Missouri does come Missouri does come to Lexington this time around.
1: Early, yeah. Yeah. I'm getting some Louisville vibes with Missouri this year. Louisville was everybody's preseason team last year that that the media loved. Uh, well, I'll say, I'll say the media. <laughs> it bothers me people just say the media. ESPN, The Athletic, a lot of places are very high on Louisville after. You know, you got some of the same factors going. First year head coach, better than expected record. Of course, Louisville was two and ten in 2018. They won eight. I think they went eight and five. In 2019, so they get a lot of guys back, similar to Missouri this year. You got a quarterback in Connor Blazak, uh, Blazak, excuse me, that people like, so that gives them a boost. But I thought, I thought Missouri was was had really good luck in in their close games, and I thought the game against Kentucky, which you know, I'm not gonna say Kentucky deserved to win that game by any means, but it's also one of the strangest college football games i have ever seen, wasn't it? 92 plays, right? That Missouri ran, and only won by 10 points, I think. So it was one of those weird games that um, you just don't see very much. And I think, I think as good of a job as Eli Drinkwitz is doing so far at Missouri, I'm not ready to sit here and say they're for sure the third best team in the East. Now they might prove to be, but in the preseason, maybe you'll see Kentucky get some votes. I think I'm with you. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say just because Kentucky gets them at home and they've not lost to Missouri at home and. Quite some time, I think about 2000. It's early, yeah. It was yeah, something like that. So, uh, but that same logic, though, if I'm going to use that, you could also say Kentucky. Believe it or not, Kentucky's not won in Starkville since 2008.
0: I think that changes this year too, though.
1: That'd be a big upset, right? Taking down the number eight team in the country, you can go down there and do that, and then uh, <laughs> it'd be in good shape. No, I, I think when. ESPN, I want to. I'm curious how much longer they're going to continue to use the FPI because Bill Connolly's SP plus rankings are like far more respected, I would say, than what the FPI is. And, you know, they got Bill Connolly on board now. I'm wondering if that won't be what they eventually just go to. But FPI did come out, it was something to talk about football wise. Um, so they're in a better spot. Like you said, Sean, you made a good point. I mean, you can see that these metrics and everything are a little bit higher on Kentucky now than it used to be because a lot of years, Kentucky, I'm thinking probably even like 2019 after having a really good season, I'm going to guess that they were not projected to win as many games. That I don't think
0: year. it was six after they won 10. Wasn't it at like five something? Yeah, sounds right. So I write the story
1: on this every year. I should probably go back and, and find it because I'm always, well, I don't know if the FPI, how it was last year. I don't remember much about last year besides walking around my apartment complex and. Watching King of the Hill. So, besides that, but,
0: uh... yeah, you can. I throw out FBI when it comes down to making predictions or something for college football. But Kentucky is certainly getting some of that respect now in those numbers because of their recent success. Like they're finally getting that. Like getting seven and five, you can't really say disrespect now. Like nobody can kind of play that card going into the season. Now you have to wait and see if they're fourth in the SEC standings. Then you can kind of look at it. Maybe they can play. Yeah, I think we've done enough over the years to say that we're a better program than Missouri. And then I just kind of throw—I throw a lot of stuff that happened last year out the window. Like I want to see how it looks this year, and then hopefully a normal setting. I know that's going to be a mailbag question for Friday's episode, uh, but. That was one of the worst performances I'd ever seen from UK football under Mark Stoops, is when they went to Missouri.
1: Yeah, it was a weird game, um, no doubt about it. Offense, I mean,
0: as also the the game too, where the first one Schlarman missed. So I, I I throw that in there as well. There was a lot going on, Derek. There was a lot. You're exactly right about Schlarman. I also,
1: in my mind. Probably the day that Mark Stevens realized it was time to move on from Eddie Grant. It was. That would be my guess yep. that that was the day. Um, they
0: had chances, right, and just couldn't do it.
1: They did. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they got the ball back, I think, down, down a touchdown and went three and out, I want to say. um, It was a bad performance. I mean, it was one of those, like, very frustrating games to watch, too, because they would get Missouri in, like, third third down situation or even fourth and short. I think Missouri converted, like, three – I don't know what their fourth down conversion rate was that game, but it was good. They just, they just couldn't get off the field. Didn't Missouri have, like, close to a 20-play drive where they didn't even score? Yeah, they <laughs> like did. They stopped on fourth down. It was something crazy like that. Yeah, just the kind of game that you're not going to see repeated basically oh. ever in college football. But that that is a game, I think, whenever it comes time for that game. Is it the second game of the season?
0: It's early. Let I me it, see. Yeah. Okay. We're we're not prepared here, are we, Derek? We talk about so much. <laughs> we have well, so I've many things uh,
1: pulled up. We usually have this stuff. It is right? the second game of the it season. The second. Yeah. So I think that'll be a pretty – I don't know who else is playing in the SEC that weekend, but in terms of – if you are thinking about, hey, it's unlikely that anyone besides Georgia or Florida will compete for the East. It is still a game, though, If you, for Kentucky it feels very important because for Kentucky it would still feel like a – pretty big deal to finish top three in the SEC East. And you can kind of reclaim because you know Missouri ended that streak last year it'd have been uh what five years 15 16 17 yeah. 18 19 yep yeah so they beat them five straight years and then you, you come back and win this year you can still say hey six out of seven if you beat South Carolina or or should beat Tennessee I would say this year I mean it's a chance to it's a chance to get the five wins in the SEC which is a big deal for this team it's what they won Back in uh, 2018, so a pretty big accomplishment. Well, they can the, do that,
0: and we're not. We're going to talk a lot about the schedule. We'll wait till summer, like late summer, to really dig into the schedule, Derek. But one thing before we wrap up here, I really like how Kentucky's football schedule is set up this year. With the front half, I can see them having a lot of success the first four weeks, and then you got a tough stretch there in the middle: Florida, LSU, Georgia. But then the back half of the schedule you could have some success there too. Like, I like how that sets up. And then I'm hoping that it's full capacity, everything is go, normal, because that stretch of home games there, back-to-back weeks, Florida at Kroger Field and LSU at Kroger Field takes you back 2007 when the same you know thing come down when they beat number one LSU and then Florida came to town right after that. that. That could be – Kentucky fans could be having a lot of fun in October if this football team gets off to a good start.
1: I mean, if you really want to get ahead of your skis, you could be looking at that game at Georgia. I mean, if they win the first four, which they should pretty much be a gimme to win two of those, losing a Monroe, Chattanooga, and then, of course, they play Missouri and at South Carolina. I'd say all those games are winnable for sure. You win four right there, just split with Florida or LSU. I mean, you got them both at home. If you just win one of those, you're going down to Athens at 5-1 and one overall. And like you said, with the way the schedule sets up, even if you lose – Even if you lose all three, even if you don't win a game the whole, or well, I guess they will, they play four games in October. Uh, even if you lose to Florida, LSU, and Georgia, you get a chance at Mississippi State. You just can't go over there. Because, like you said, you close the season with, in November, with Tennessee, Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, and Louisville. That, that has a chance to ride a lot of momentum. It does. Into whatever bowl game. Um, like you said, we got a whole summer ahead of us, so really no reason to burn through all of our preseason talk. But I've been thinking a little bit more about, you know, some Kentucky football things, maybe some concerns that I have that would, you know, maybe lead me to say seven or eight wins as opposed to anything bigger, but we'll get around to those. Still some holes I see on this team that I think are gonna need to be figured out. But some of those things, Sean, we won't even know until the guys get out there and there will be players emerge. Jamin Davis will be someone you probably hear a lot talked about because he wasn't even a starter until that year, and then by the end of the year, you feel really good about him. So, I, I would say people like that will emerge this season. But, um, yeah, spring spring wraps up on Saturday, so a reminder to it's like it kind of flew by this year in a way. It's it's like it's I don't know. It's just been a weird weird year. I don't feel like I know too much about. <laughs> about what's going on, and that's just how it's had to be in this yeah. pandemic. But I'm hoping this fall we get in there and can see them a little bit and just have a good idea of, of kind of how the team looks.
0: Yeah, we've we've not been out there, which is the biggest uh, adjustment. The last couple of years we don't really know a lot about it because typically we'd be out there seeing and knowing some of the storylines and seeing some of the progress, identifying guys that are performing well. But we're going to go into this off season just going off of what the staff wants us to know. So they're in complete control of this thing, and they can probably rot it out, Derek, until the opening game if they want to.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think they'll do something to uh, in the fall. To... My proposal, and no one's going to listen to me, my proposal would be let's get back to the old days, when I first started started going to the fan days, and their, I guess Joker Phillips' first year is the first one I ever went to. They used to have that thing in the stadium, and if that's going to be a concern this fall, uh, I don't know what the vaccination setup's going to be like at the stadium uh, at that point in the year. But if it's going away a little bit, try to get people in the stadium. You can spread it out in there. You give people a chance to see it because I think by that point, people will just be dying to see some football and just see what Kentucky looks like. Because, you know, a lot of people too, Sean, who are going to be going to the games this fall didn't, didn't go last year. No. You know, they rolled their tickets over, things like that. You can only get, what, 12,000 people in there. So mm-hmm. it's been a minute. For fans since they got to go in there and see it so i think that would be a really smart thing to do and um i'm gonna say that it'll happen they'll do something but the autograph part of it though highly unlikely i would say but i don't see anything wrong with spreading everybody out in the stadium and and watching the kids practice for an hour or two
0: yeah i think uh i think you're safe that they'll do definitely do something that they weren't able to do This past year, and uh, we'll see exactly what happens. We'll be right here to update you on the transfer portal, UK men's basketball roster additions. Uh, People decided that we still have a couple decisions to make here. With Davion Mintz and Keon Brooks, we're waiting, Derek. We have no idea what those two are going to do. As soon as we drop this thing, you might get something. We don't know. That's just the way this podcast works. Uh, There's some big-time football stuff coming up this weekend, the Wade Twins. uh, Keontae Goodwin, there's big-time announcements coming uh, on the football side, Derek, so we're going to be busy. And we've already put up the tweet for the mailbag episode, so if you want to add to the Buffalo Wings and Rings mailbag, submit it via DM, reply to the tweet, uh, follow that Twitter account as well. We're going to be doing some things with them uh, over the next month or so, so just be sure to follow them. And uh, as we hopefully get back to normal, we can do some in-person Kentucky daily recordings, Derek. I know that's something that we're looking forward to, especially as things continue to move towards normal at some point possibly locations in lexington
1: yeah no question looking forward to that hopefully getting out to buffalo wings and rings and and the butcher's pub uh butcher's pub now supported us for many months and we're very happy to have buffalo wings and rings jump on board i know they were that was a place way back at the very beginning we thought might have some interest and you know finally linked up with them so we're, we're really enjoying having those uh sponsors with us and get out there and see those guys
0: Yep, and Derek. And, Derek, I want to start doing this, too, just in case people don't follow one of us on social media. Just tell them where they can follow you and where they can find all your work, too, just for maybe someone that's listening to the show for the first time.
1: Yeah, on Twitter, you can follow me at Derek S. Terry. It's D-E-R-E-K. And then if you want to subscribe to the Catspaws print magazine, uh, you can just Google that and find a spot to uh, to to subscribe. But pretty much any article I'll talk about on here, you can find at Catspaws.com on the 24-7 Sports Network.
0: Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com. But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran.